As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello and welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone, joined this week by, as I said, the A-team. The A-team of uh, James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence, the Arsenal correspondents for The Athletic. Uh, Good morning, guys. Morning, Ian. Oh yeah, just imagining running out of Highbury in about 1986 with that music (laughs) after that intro. (laughs) That's right. And it seemed to suit us quite well. Well, Dennis Burkev anyway, because he wasn't getting on a plane full. I remember that. Ah, very good. <laughs> Thank you. Do you get that reference? Thank you. Ka-ching. Uh, anyway. <laughs> no, don't do that to a comedian. That hurts, all right? Uh, I should say, um, we will discuss the win. And good Lord, it's nice to have a win to discuss. Uh, we're also, by the way, going to chat a little bit in the second section about Laurent Koscielny. Um, If you're one of the people who sent Stuart McFarlane some abuse when he posted a, uh, a picture of Laurent and a happy 36th birthday, uh, don't listen to the second half because uh, we will be talking about him in some sort of balanced form. All right, because I think enough time has passed. Uh, We'll get to that. Also, by the way, there was uh, a lovely video of an Arsenal fan, a young Arsenal fan, Matt Johnson, going around the uh, going to the Emirates for the very first time, and it's just it's just lovely to see his face and reminds us, I think, wouldn't you say, Amy, of of you know we we're we're sort of hard bitten to a certain extent, cynical fans. But when you see people turning up looking so happy, you go, oh yeah, this is magical, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, for people of our generation, there were no video phones. So those kind of moments were just kind of in your imagination. But also, I think it's quite interesting because it's part of the modern fan experience, I suppose, that people, more people support Arsenal from all over the world now than maybe was the case years ago. So there is this kind of build up probably of like the rite of passage to actually go to a game, which clearly has been very difficult in recent years um, with the pandemic and so on and travel being so difficult. But I think that sense of for for someone who grows up far away but has that pure love for the club uh, and is absorbed by it and everything that happens to it, but doesn't have that physical kind of like that visceral sensation of actually seeing it for your own eyes, hearing things with your own ears, etc. It must be an incredible thing. And it was lovely that it was captured 
uh, on camera. But I must say as well that I felt really struck um, by being back in my season ticket seat for the game on Saturday because it was the first time really to be back in that seat with all the guys that, you know, over these past 15 years or so have been around us um, because I was working, so I was in the press box for the Chelsea game. So this was the first one back where everyone was there. And I felt quite emotional, I must say. I mean, there was a few old faces, the people that we used to be with in the in, at Highbury in the, in, in the clock end before the move who sit, still sit near us. And you think, oh, you really go back with these people. And we're a lot of hugs and a lot of heartfelt feeling to be around each other again and to be quick, so quickly falling into those patterns of moaning and joking <laughs> and, and with the same old, old familiar voices around you. It was very, very special. So whether you were an old fan or a new fan like Mac, I uh, just think being back in there is uh, is a phenomenal feeling. Those um, those people you sit near, James. Uh, you know, I mean, it, not in the press box, but those fans that you that you've been around for years. We used to have a bloke next to us who we called him Kit Kat because he always had a Kit Kat at half time. Uh, I also once saw him eating a burger and smoking at the same time. It's singularly, the most unhealthy thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. But these people are family, aren't they? And 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 it's it's nice when you see that young Arsenal fan, Mac Johnson, his name is, going to the Emirates for the first time, and he's become part of the family. Yeah, and I have to be honest. In my case, where I sit, there's some people around me who are literally family. I've got a couple of cousins <laughs> down a few rows in front of me, and I saw them at the Chelsea game when I was in my season ticket, and it was the first time in a long, long time I'd seen them. And so, there has been that slight sense of homecoming. I met somebody on my way out of the ground on Saturday. Someone came up and said hello, and it was their first Arsenal game, and they were a fan who'd come from abroad. I think they'd come over from India. They were here on business, and they'd been able to go to an Arsenal game for the first time. And I could just tell, you know, how thrilled they were by that experience. And it was a good one to go to. I know it wasn't maybe a classic in terms of the match itself or the scoreline, but I was really struck by how positive the atmosphere was particularly in that opening 20 minutes the crowd were really behind the team and when you consider what's gone on with the performances and the results since the start of the season I thought that was really encouraging yeah uh, well we'll get to that uh, in more detail in a second um yeah one of the reasons we're all in a good mood on uh, Saturday was the fact that we'd heard or watched in some cases Crystal Palace uh, Vieira, Patrick Vieira inspired Crystal Palace, beat Tottenham 3-0 in the morning. Uh, always helps if you put a kink in Tottenham's day before you go down the Emirates Stadium to watch your team. Um, so I suppose the question is, and I, I mean Amy sort of inspired this, would you have him as manager? James, I'll ask you first. I mean, how difficult would that be if things didn't work out and, and a legend like Patrick Vieira failed at the club? Well, that's a very good point. Yeah, I think that it can be quite a painful thing. He's got such a legacy at Arsenal that he would be putting on the line. But I have to say, I don't think he would hesitate to do that. I think it's a job he would absolutely love. It's a job he's been a candidate for previously and uh, you know, not made it to the, to the final round, as it were, or, or certainly to get selected. But I think he wouldn't hesitate to do it again because of the affection he has for the club. I hope he does terrifically well at Crystal Palace. I mean, it's a difficult job he's gone into there. They're sort of um, moving away from a system that Roy Hodgson implemented, a style of play that was pretty secure, that gave them a very solid foundation. 
they're going with a younger team, a more adventurous team, um, a more ambitious team, but that incurs an element of risk. We've seen that with teams previously in the past. So yeah, I, I wish him all the best. I'm not sure if what he's done in management yet is sufficient to make me think he'd be a surefire hit at Arsenal, but speaking as a fan and someone who idolised him as a player, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be adverse to seeing it and I'd love to see him succeed in management. Amy, I mean, you said the younger fans who hadn't seen Patrick Vieira in his pomp like we did may feel slightly differently about all this, but to see Patrick Vieira walk out as manager at Arsenal uh, and lead us to trophies would just be a joy, wouldn't it? Well, I, you know, it doesn't take much to set me off, but I know I'd be in tears if he just walked out on the pitch as manager, irrespective of, of, of trophies. But, you know, I think for a lot of us, Vieira symbolises something that means uh, an, something incredibly profound. Uh, he connects us very directly to not just such an amazing period of Arsenal success, but I think the manner in which when he arrived, from the minute he arrived, he symbolised... For me, uh, a kind of zeitgeist player, you know, the time that he arrived and the type of player he was, it was seeing in front of your eyes the perfect fusion of the kind of combative, competitive, gritty, determined, uh, you know, win at all costs mentality that you associate with old Arsenal and all the sophistication and technical accomplishment that you would uh, associate with with what became New Arsenal at the time, and he was such an incredible mix of a cocktail of both that, in a way, we'd never seen anything like it before, and I'm not sure we've seen much like it since. Um, you know, I think going back to that time, it, ridiculously, it seems now, but. A lot of people in that era would have regarded someone like, uh, you know, most foreign players as slightly fancy Dan coming into English football. There was always that yeah. kind of characteristic or stereotype. But that was based a lot on the lack of knowledge. Um, but Patrick was one of those who, who obliterated that concept. And you could see how someone could bring something that we didn't have, that kind of flair and flamboyance, um, a, a dexterity and, and, and understanding of the game that was so, it seems so clever, but, you know, allied to that kind of core, sort of muscular, uh, determined, um, highly charged, competitive edge. And, you know, obviously as a manager, like, like a lot of managers, you're not the same manager as you are a player. And he is trying to prove himself. Um, it, it, and it's a longish road. You know, he's been at it for quite a few years in a few different types of jobs. But I have to say that if the chance comes, I would be thrilled to see him get that chance. And as James mentioned, I think he's twice been in the running uh, post Wenger, which pro really probably would have been the wrong time and too much pressure. And post Emery, where you know, sliding doors, who knows where we'd be sitting today if it had been Patrick given that chance instead of Mikel Arteta. It's one of those things you can theorise and uh, imagine different scenarios and we'll never know. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that time come one of these days. And it was obviously, it was so nice to have that song booming out in the concourses where you get a bit of echo. Yeah, and the old Vieira song just came back so naturally. Um, that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We love that it song. Tells you we love that song. It? 
Mm. Well, we do we do love that song. I used to sing it to my older son to get him to sleep and uh, <laughs> rock him. And it was, uh, yeah, so we have a, a, you know, I have obviously, I, I feel the same way uh, you guys do. But right now, uh, Mikel Arteta is our manager and got our first win of the season. By the way, you can get a third off The Athletic right now uh, just because you listen to this podcast. Visit theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal. You'll be able to read all of James, Amy, also Art de Roche's uh, articles in full. Uh, Arsenal 1, Norwich nil. 3 o'clock kickoff. Uh, I didn't go at this game, by the way. I should uh, fess up right now. I was taking my youngest son to you to university, so it's been an emotional weekend for me as well. But um, <laughs> well, I don't need to bore you with the details. Um, I mean, I only saw the match of the day highlights, it, uh, and and it seemed like we were on top. I read that we had thirty shots. Uh, James, was it as dominant a performance as you would have believed if you'd read that and seen the highlights, which were pretty much all Arsenal? Yeah, I, I have to say, I didn't feel like that in the moment. And I think that nerves probably played their part in that. I mean, it was a game that Arsenal absolutely had to win. And as long as there was that narrow margin, you always had that doubt. And Arsenal had to wait a long time for the breakthrough. Watching the game back, and you talk about the highlights, and if you go and see that the full array of chances that Arsenal had, particularly in the second half, they had 20 of their 30 shots in that second half. And once Norwich... You know, we're chasing an equaliser. More and more space opened up. I mean, by rights, I think this should have been a, a clearer win than it was. And there were several opportunities where Norwich produced last-ditch blocks. There was a brilliant block to deny Pepe at the far post. Tim yes. Krul made a number of excellent saves. Um, it, it perhaps should have been more comfortable than it was. But speaking as a fan, it did not feel it in the moment. And I think that anxiety and fear was a substantial part of that. I don't know what Amy's experience of that was. Well, Amy, you, I mean, I mean, James said the atmosphere was rocking for the first 20 minutes. And, and I know Mikel Arteta talked about how he's, he thinks that the last two weeks have been the best weeks of his career because of the way that everyone pulled together. I think the fans played their part on Saturday as well, didn't they? Well, it was a, a really positive atmosphere. And, you know, uh, before the game, there were a few kind of naysayers going, oh, cool, what's it going to sound like if it's nil-nil half-time and Arsenal haven't scored? Or what if Norwich take the lead and, you know, that place will get toxic? I heard people sort of predicting that, but it was nothing of the sort. Um, it, I think the team selection helped because there were so many new players in and, yeah. you know, it would be very, very harsh uh, to be carrying a little bit of um, negativity in on that situation. So everybody felt when they saw, I think, the lineup, uh, a real goodwill to like, okay, let's let's see what these new guys can do and give them a good welcome. It did start to get a bit antsy the longer time went on. You know that. I mean, it quite often happens, even in big games. Like Arsenal have a great five minutes or something, and everyone goes, "Wow, this is right," and gets a bit excited, and then, you know, it all starts to cave in. But um, it, it wasn't quite that same feeling, but it did. It was a good. It was a positive environment, I think, at the start. But it, it when it was good that everybody stuck together when it was taking a while to get that breakthrough, and it did feel like it was coming. But it was also that that sense of like, come on, Arsenal, you really need to find a bit more clinical edge, a bit more ruthlessness, sort of sometime soon, because you know, not not all opponents are going to be, you know, perhaps as forgiving as Norwich at home so it does this needs to be a stepping stone make no mistake and I think everybody acknowledges that it wasn't a 
you had to enjoy it with perspective, which is the the correct perspective is enjoy the fact that Arsenal have won the game after a really horrible period, but no need to go overboard because the performance wasn't outstanding and there's still work to do and the opponent was not great. So everyone accepts that that's the reality. But as a stepping stone, it was a good one. Can I ask just this this narrative about the Emirates crowd? I, I think I read Alison Rudd's piece in The Observer yesterday Basically, after the first 20 minutes, this sentence, the opening bars of the infamous Emirates murmur of discontent could be heard. I mean, I've got to be honest, that pisses me off a little bit hearing that. James, do you feel the same way? I just think, yeah, all right, we know what you, you don't think the other teams get frustrated after 20 minutes or other sets of fans get frustrated after 20 minutes, half an hour when things aren't going exactly their way. Yeah, I think it's across football that's the case, especially when a team are, or a club, shall we say, are underachieving against their potential in the way that Arsenal have been of late. I think it's entirely natural that supporters will respond in that way. And as Amy said, that isn't really what happened uh, on Saturday. I mean, even when you had that kind of 25-minute or 20-minute spell at the end of the first half when Norwich really came back into the game and Arsenal seemingly took their foot off the gas when the halftime whistle came. It wasn't like there was a particularly negative reaction or anything like it. I do think that the freshness of the team helped in that regard. And it wasn't just the fact that it was new players. Well, we know about our new players. They're all young players. And we saw, you know, a a 23-year-old goalkeeper coming in, a 22-year-old right back, even in central midfield, you know, in Laconga and Maitland-Niles, that had a youthful, relatively inexperienced look to it. And I think that engendered a lot of goodwill towards the team that sort of carried them through the game. But yeah, I, I do think there is a a bit of an unfair rap that Arsenal fans do get in terms of sort of turning on the team relatively quickly, especially when it's not borne out, as, as proved to be the case at the weekend. Just on Ramsdale in particular, uh, I mean, that was kind of fascinating because the response that he got, there was a lot of singing for him in particular, uh, and he responded well to that. And he just exuded a nice kind of authority stroke happiness about being out there, um, which I think was infectious. And I just find it interesting the way there was such a tsunami of, I suppose, negativity, but it, you know, pre-signing, he, he, he had a lot of flat come his way before he'd even got anywhere near a signature, which was such an unusual situation. Um, and for it to turn, so extremely quickly, so radically, is remarkable. It's a lot easier to give out flack when you're sitting at your computer as opposed to in the stadium, surrounded by people who are cheering his name, though, isn't it? No, yeah, but but what what I mean is just in general, it's gone from a situation where there seemed to be quite a lot of reticence and he's almost like a cult figure within, within his first home game where he didn't have tons to do. So it's not like he pulled off 20 worldies and everyone was like, oh, my God. He had a really good solid game, but the affection to, towards the crowd um, that was mutual was really joyous. And uh, at the end, it was his name probably being sung the loudest and he was out there giving it a big, you know, come on sort of gestures. And you thought, there's something going on here. This boy is bringing something to the team, to the vibe, to the atmosphere uh, quite apart from what he can do as a goalkeeper, that was just kind of notable. Yeah, it was interesting what Mikel Arteta said afterwards because he said, you know, I thought he did well on the technical front, but he said, kind of moreover, it's about what he transmits. And I mm. think it's a really, it's in a way, it kind of tells you about what he thinks of Bern Leno too, I think, this sort of by omission. But 
there is something about Ramsdale that is quite an infectious energy and it doesn't you know this is sort of something that probably doesn't mean that much if you're not in the ground but when the defender was making a block the manner in which he sort of congratulated them was something that you suddenly realized oh we haven't really seen that much at the back for Arsenal we haven't really seen that sort of intense spirit of camaraderie and that kind of you know we will not concede backs to the wall um you know sort of stance and I think he brings a bit of that. I also think it helps that he's inherited Aaron Ramsey's songs, which are <laughs> very popular, well, very popular in Aaron Ramsey's day, and people are glad to give them another airing. So he arrives with about two or three songs absolutely ready made for him. Just, uh, just another small observation following on from that, James, is there was a lot of songs around me that people were trying to get going that were like, that were all derivative of someone else's song to try and oh, put really? onto somebody. And the one that I really objected to, now regular listeners to this show will know that I have quite strong feelings on music, um, but uh, to take the Ian Wright song and go Benny White, 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 I mean, just no. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> You've, been told You've got to everyone. do better than that. Uh, you know, I think no, I think no, 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 no. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Just pick up on a couple of things you said, James. Um, older Arsenal fans, and I include uh, Amy and possibly you as well, James, in this, will have seen plenty of backs to the wall defending, uh, and they shall not pass, but not from the team in the last few years, by the way. Um, mm. But we have seen plenty of it. Uh, also, James, um, is that the new defence? Is that the defence now set? Ramsdale, Tommy Asu, White, uh, Gabriel and Tierney. I mean, that's the defence we want to see, right? It's hard to think not. I mean, certainly in terms of the back four, those are cl the clear first choices, I think, in each of those positions. The ages are very good. You know, they're all in that kind of early 20s range. Uh, I thought White and Gabrielle for a first look at that partnership was promising. And I suspect it played into Arteta's thinking that he had... You know, he had White, Gabrielle and Ramsdale all at the training ground for the duration of the international break. I do wonder how much work he might have done on that kind of centre of the defence with the goalkeeper and the two centre-halves and how that might have filtered into his thinking for Saturday. Yeah, I think we are going to see more of it. Um, and I hope so. I mean, experience is something that's important at the back, but a lot of those players have played a lot of minutes despite being relatively tender in their years. So... Uh, it was an encouraging start. I thought Tommy Asu had a good, a good game as well. He cramped up after about an hour and went off with Maitland-Niles switching to right back. But before that, he looked uh, very athletic, very dominant in the air. Um, got forward, I think, maybe more than perhaps people were anticipating too. Came close a couple of times. So, 
Yeah, I, I think that probably is the first choice back four and they'll get a sterner test, you would imagine, uh, away to Burnley at the weekend. I think particularly on set pieces, they'll put us under pressure. So we'll see what they're made of then. Yeah, uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, you mentioned him there, James. Uh, mm-hmm. Amy, I'll come to you. I suppose in from the cold, I mean, we all thought, is this Arsenal career over? He made no secret of the fact that he wanted to play in central midfield. And there he was uh, at the weekend. Uh, is it mixed messages from Mikel Arteta? I don't quite, I still, I'm still not sure that Ainsley Maitland-Niles is particularly sure where he fits into the whole thing. Well, of course, the irony being that he apparently had only recently said actually he wants to play right back after all and, of course, straight away gets game in midfield. Um, I, I it, it looks to all intents and purposes as if the clear-the-air talks that they had around deadline day when there was a possibility of a move away and the Instagram post that I think uh, laid bare um, Ainsley's sort of emotions at the time... Um, we don't know what was said there, but obviously the fact that straight away he's got a starting position after that would would look uh, promising. It would look like whatever chats they had were, you know, were optimistic and, and, and positive and forward-looking rather than dwelling on what happened before. Um, he's still of an age where, you know, players mature both sort of emotionally and psychologically, as well as technically at different times. And maybe this is a moment for Ainsley to think, right, what is my career going to look like now? Um, And I hope he grabs it because I think everybody feels he's still got a lot of quality to bring. I think he has an athleticism that is, you know, when it's harnessed well, is really helpful for the team. And just refining some of his decision making and some of the technical issues. If he can learn and develop and take on board that I can get better and better, it can only be good for him and for Arsenal. So I hope it's a fre- the fresh start that it looked like. And one more thing, James, about the game. Um, the 4-3-3. Uh, you wrote in your piece about how things changed. Uh, Thomas Partey, um, Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe. And you... Sort of speculated that might be the end of Arsenal's reliance on Granite Xhaka. Uh, is that more in hope you're writing this, or actually you think this might actually happen at this point? Uh, I, I think it will be a horses for courses thing. I don't think we've seen the last of Granite Xhaka. If we've learned anything from the last few years, it's that his career with Arsenal is going to follow this sort of undulating <laughs> pattern of you know disgrace and then proving his importance to the team and I don't really expect that to change before he departs um but but I do think there is something in this other type of system you know as soon as Partey and Smith Rowe came on I do think it swung the game in Arsenal's favour and you know having heard Patrick Vieira sung all afternoon and then seeing Thomas Partey come on and the way in which he managed to dominate the midfield in his short time on the pitch uh, it felt appropriate you know after we'd been lauding a a great Arsenal midfielder of the past I, I wonder if there may just be a way of kind of fitting these players in together. You know, there's a lot of talk about Smith-Rowe and Odegaard and what do you do? Do you put Smith-Rowe out on the left-hand side? But I do think that both Smith-Rowe and Odegaard have the technical ability, the work rate, the kind of willingness to do the dirty work off the ball that means they could they could function in those central midfield roles in the same way that Manchester City have used the likes of David Silva in the past. And I think in Thomas Partey, you've got someone who's good enough to kind of anchor that midfield 
alone who might allow you to play a bit more of a ambitious attacking adventurous shape not in all games not on all occasions but from time to time and when Arsenal needed to find a breakthrough that's what Mikel Arteta went to and it wouldn't surprise me if there were occasions later in the season where he's prepared to do that from the start because really with respect to Norwich Arsenal should be on the front foot in a game like this they should be looking to go and win the game and I think the more of our creative, skillful, attacking players we can get out on the pitch, the greater our chances of doing that. James, can I yeah. can I ask you, um, I think that when Smith Rowe came on, obviously Partey brought what he brings, you know, very, very evidently, but it felt like the kind of, um, the urgency in the kind of creative part of the game mm. was not quite happening until Smith Rowe appeared. And as soon as he was on the pitch... That felt very, very different. Did you think that was a system thing or a personnel thing? Because I just felt Smith Rowe being on the pitch gave Arsenal that extra weapon to penetrate more effectively. Because up till then, it looked like a lot of huffing and puffing, but not necessarily enough creativity. Yeah, well, without wishing to dodge the question, I kind of thought it was a bit of both. I thought that in the first half, Arsenal weren't really getting the ball into the feet of Saka and Odegaard well enough. They were sort of looking over the top or in behind with very mixed results. I thought as soon as Smith Rowe came on, it gave them an extra kind of target to find in that sort of middle space in between defence and attack. And also in party, they had someone who was capable of picking that pass. And in the build-up to the goal Arsenal score, he picks a really beautiful pass between the lines to find Saka. But on the other side of it, I do think Smith Rowe does have a kind of infectious energy to him. I mean, Thomas Rosicki was a player who whose mere presence in the team seemed to kind of accelerate the Arsenal attack. And I think Smith Rowe shares a little bit of that trait. Um, you know, he, he did sort of grease the wheels somewhat for Arsenal and uh, there was an energy he brought to proceedings that definitely lifted them. So I think it was a combination of both. I mean, Smith Rowe is one of those players who... I think even when he has a bad game, which isn't too often, or doesn't have his best game, the qualities he brings to the team um, improve it. You know, I remember Arsene Wenger talking about Robert Pires as being the oil in Arsenal's engine. And I think there's an extent to which Smith Rowe plays that role in the current Arsenal team. He just seems to speed things up, provide an extra option. I think part of it is his movement off the ball, the, the positions he picks up. He always seems to create an overload, create an extra man. Uh, and he's one of those players who I think has to be one of the first names on the team sheet, really. It's a question of where you fit him in because the qualities he brings are so unique and so useful. Well, it is about the system then, isn't it, James, to be honest? Because when he was bought, I heard friends of ours arguing, well, if, if sorry, when Martin Erdegaard was bought, I heard mm. friends arguing, well, you can't play them both in the same team, but you're saying that in the 4-3-3, they can possibly work together. Yeah, and I also think that Smith Rowe out on the left-hand side is not a problem. You know, I think he does very well there. And because it's his tendency to kind of drift in field and pick up dangerous positions, I think that works for Arsenal too. I actually think Arsenal's best performances last season 
by and large, probably had Smithrow and Odegaard in the team. There were times where they combined really effectively. I think intelligent players find a way to do that. You know, look at the likes of Cesc Fabregas, Sami Nasri, Thomas Rosicki. These were all players who wanted to be playing in the same position, you know, that number 10 role. But that wasn't afforded to them. Alex Lebb, Andre Arshavin, but they found a way to combine to each other's strengths and kind of interchange positions effectively. And I don't see any reason that Smithrow and Odegaard couldn't do the same. Anyway, the season started and it's nice. It feels yeah. like we're off and running finally. You're listening to Handbrake Off, the Athletics Arsenal podcast. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Laurent Koscielny after these messages. And it's turned in from very close range by Laurent Koscielny. He's the one the Arsenal players jump on. And Arsene Wenger's team have come back from 2-0 down at Wembley. This is Handbrake Off. I'm Ian Stone and here with Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Now, as I said earlier in the show, Stuart McFarlane, the Arsenal photographer, posted a picture of uh, Lauren Koscielny with happy birthday, Lauren, 36 years old. And uh, some people were not happy. Quite a few people, Amy, you said, were, were sort of giving him abuse because they're still hurt at the way things um, ended up with Lauren. We haven't really talked about it that much. Uh, it, it was a terrible shame uh, the way things worked out and it left us in a bit of a hole, didn't it? Well, it left us in a hole that was filled by uh, David Louise fairly quickly. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. But uh, I think it was just the sort of manner of his departure that was, more than anything else, very unexpected and unusual in in its nature. Um, Laurent, over the years, had proved himself to be an immensely loyal, uncomplicated, uh, give-everything-for-the-cause, sensible boy, uh, dedicated. I don't think anybody imagined that he would be someone that would uh, ever really consciously kick up a fuss or make things difficult. But I think it was very one-sided, and I think there are times in football where you don't get the full picture, and this was one of them. And we are not privy to private conversations, to uh, arrangements that are sometimes made, gentlemen's sort of agreements that go on in football. And uh, people close to Laurent, I think to this day, will argue extremely strongly that he was hard done by and he, he was not treated in the way that he was led to expect would happen. And I think for personal reasons, he was quite keen to return to France and there was a scenario where he was expecting that to happen. Um, and then it was not really go, looking like it was going to go that way for him. And there was a, a, a clear disagreement about what everybody's expectations were. Um, it, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. It, it wasn't what you want. Um, it looked like it was a, a player kicking off and leaving the club in a difficult position with the season about to start. He was club captain. He'd been injured for a very long time. He'd done best part of a decade giving himself to the club um, as a fairly exemplary pro, I would say. So I think there's I think there's a lot we don't understand about that situation. And he's uh, not the type of person who wants to blab away about details and um, hang out any dirty laundry, so to speak. That's not his style. That, probably the thing that was most inflammatory was the um, 
what do you call it when the, the announcement video when he joined Bordeaux and they obviously suggested to him that he takes off his Arsenal shirt and has the Bordeaux one underneath or whatever it was. And I think it was that particular thing that grated most with people. Uh, however, I think it's a little bit sad if a few years down the line, people are getting het up about things they don't happy really necessarily birthday. know the full details about. If we can't say happy birthday to a guy who gave many, many years uh, in great heart to the club, that's a bit of a shame. Absolutely. I mean, he scored He scored a goal that got us in the Champions League at Newcastle. He scored the equaliser in the cup final against Hull. Um and basically carried the defence for about 10 years uh, on quite a lot of games. I think it's time we maybe rehabilitated him, right, James? Well, time heals many wounds, and I suspect <laughs> so it will prove in Laurent Koscielny's case. I know it's been a couple of years, but I think sometimes these things take longer. You think of, I even think of a kind of, uh, say someone like Ashley Cole that even in the in, say that. <laughs> yeah but I, I think even in the most recent uh, last couple of years I think I, I detect a slight softening of Arsenal fans as um, good sort of opposition to him I, I, I may be wrong but that's my impression it's I think that time, you, 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 there is a trend in that direction and I think Koscielny will his re reputation we will be rehabilitated, especially when people reflect on the service that he gave the club. I mean, I do think in the sort of Emirates Stadium era, you can mount a case that he is the outstanding Arsenal servant in that period. Um, certainly our finest defender in that time is between him and Bakary Sanya. So, and Andre uh, Santos, obviously. And of course, Andre Santos, how could we forget? But <laughs> I, I wrote a piece actually a couple of, I think it was or nearly two years ago now, um, but you'll find it, and it's called Why Laurent Koscielny Left Arsenal. And it does detail, you know, some of what Amy's alluding to in terms of, you know, I think he felt he had an agreement with the chief executive at the time, who was Ivan Gazidis. Ivan then obviously moved on, uh, and that created a bit of a problem for Laurent. Also, his body was, was beginning to fail him. You forget that he... Maybe you don't forget, but maybe uh, you do. He had that terrible Achilles injury, of course. And I think he was uh, acutely aware that physically, maybe he wasn't up to the sort of Premier League plus Europa League schedule in the way that he might have been a couple of years before. And I think he knew that his body needed to be treated with uh, patience and respect. And I'm not sure that was always... The case. I mean, when he do, when he do you remember how much he played when he came back from that injury? He, I mean, I know it was a desperate situation, but they threw him in like non-stop. He, he didn't played get him. four games in thirteen <laughs> days when yeah. he returned from injury, uh, and this was after seven months on the sidelines. And unfortunately, that wasn't the only time in that half season where that happened. You know, there was other occasions. Uh, there was a famous occasion where after that he was asked to go to Blackpool to play in the League Cup. Um, and he pulled out actually during the warm-up. And I think that was a sort of moment where his relationship with the club was quite severely tested because it seemed so unnecessary for a senior player to travel for that game, especially given the workload that had been placed on him. And maybe people won't have sympathy with that. They'll say, well, look, you're an Arsenal player. If you're picked, you should play. But I do think that he felt that a certain degree of liberty was being taken with his body at a time when it needed to be... Uh, given, like I say, proper rehabilitation. And between then and the end of the season, 
I mean, there was a spell in April, between April 11th and April 24th. I'm just reading back over the piece now. He started five games in two weeks. And I think he knew that that was not sustainable for him. Um, and that going to Bordeaux, where he would play probably once a week, just would extend his career by another two years, potentially. Um and I have a certain degree of sympathy with that, I have to say. I think, you know, you can't underestimate how serious that Achilles injury was. And uh, I think, yes, Arsenal were in trouble, but he also, to a certain extent, had to look after his own professional interests. Do you guys know many or have you come across many sort of like uh, ex-players who are getting on a bit, you know, in the years? Well, uh, yeah, of course, you know, see, two, yeah. see a few around and about. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Anecdotally, would you agree that there is a very high level of uh, ex-players who carry, you know, quite substantial sort of physical difficulty? Knees, ankles, hips, replacements, problems. Um, You know, I I could definitely think of uh, a quite high number compared to sort of people of a similar age who weren't professional sportsmen who have, you know, who are limping around and who need major work to get pain-free and get a bit more movement in their later years. And actually, although that's probably not something people think about, if if you're not looking after your body, particularly when you're really feeling things and you're the wrong side of 30, then your chances of having a lot of pain and a lot of trouble later on in life is probably extremely high. And I think Mm. that it's worth bearing that in mind as well. And that can also be respected. Well, that's absolutely right. Lee Dixon of this parish had a knee replacement, didn't he? Or possibly two. Um, and, uh, you know, Wrighty had a fused ankle. I mean, there's, there's an endless list. And uh, maybe, I mean, you're not going to get a lot of patience and respect playing in defence for Arsenal. <laughs> Let's be fair. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of slowly bring yourself back into the team. I mean, it's uh, all hands to the pump, isn't it? Um, bringing it back to the present day, just briefly, um, Ben White and Gabriel played uh, at the weekend... This is, we're hoping, aren't we? We're investing quite a lot of hope. Amy, I'll ask you this, in these two working out because the central defensive pairing that works, solid bedrock for the team. Well, when we were talking about this a bit earlier in the podcast and all I kept thinking about, and you talked about it, if this is the first choice back four, is please can uh, circumstances permit these guys to have like six or eight games together without any interruption? I'm not necessarily talking about the League Cup or whatever, but... I think in the Premier League, it would be really, really helpful to have um, no injuries, no suspensions, no misdemeanours, no problems. And let's see uh, some partnerships, some telepathy, some understandings develop and begin to gel because that would just be supremely helpful. And I would include Thomas Partey uh, in that as well as sitting in front of the the back four. I think if the kind of goalie, the defence and your anchor midfield in front can be relatively consistent for a period of time and and, uh, engender that kind of understanding. Um, That that really could be the sort of platform that makes a big difference to Arsenal going forward. And and this project and process that Hmm. Arteta and Edu and everybody is talking about, to an extent, like lives or dies maybe on on what happens there. Well... So say all of us, Amy, I think. Uh, Let's have a song uh, to end. Um, I'm going to start, by the way, just because, um, well, because I am. Um, 
<laughs> as the season started, I'm picking start by the jam, all right? Because I feel like we're off and running finally now. Uh, James, I come to you now. What song? Uh, well, I was impressed by Tommy Asu on his debut, so I don't know if you remember the uh, German synth pop outfit Alphaville, but I'm going to go for Big in Japan. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I, I didn't remember them until you. Oh, oh yeah, Big in Japan. You're absolutely <laughs> right, and he did have a good start, and he looks like, uh, and he's winning those headers as well. It's great, uh, Amy. What about you? Thanks, James, for putting that into my head for about the next three days. Um, <laughs> I was going to pick a song in honour of Patrick Vieira because any excuse. And uh, I don't know, but I just feel a little bit slightly strange seeing him, you know, connected with another Premier League team. So I've gone for Jocelyn Brown and somebody else's guy. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Okay. Well, he may be our guy at some point as we were talking. And by the way, uh, I'm assuming, Amy, that you saw Emma Raducanu and that amazing win in the US Open and the fact that they played Sweet Caroline when she was sitting on her chair afterwards. And I immediately thought of you. (laughs) No, 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 I didn't see that. People, you you know, I get people tweet, they send me these links (laughs) and it's just brilliant because you can tell from the tone of the tweet, it's it's like got a big danger sign on it and I know not to ever press play. It's like, oh, you'll love this one, Amy. Guess what they were playing? It's like, yeah, right, thanks. I'm obviously not going to (laughs) click. Well, I'm sorry to remind you. Okay. Uh, Wow, by the way, for uh, for the tennis, because that was really brilliant. Incredible. Quite. Well, if they can mention it on Match of the Day, we can mention it here as well. Uh, Well done, Emma. Amazing performance. Uh, That's it for uh, Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Amy and Adonis, our producer. We'll see you next week. The Athletic.